they look at um, you know what what is the environment what kind of forum are we in is it a traditional public forum or or something um, that that is um, where you would have less uh, protection for your for your rights and then um, the next thing they look at is is the restriction on speech content based or content neutral okay so um, the content neutral typically like um, like a noise ordinance it'll say that you you can't have uh, you can't make noise in a certain place at a certain time over a certain number of decibels or sometimes they'll use um, you know unreasonably loud you know or something like that and those kind of restrictions are content neutral most of the time um, where uh, it, it, it's not depending on what is being spoken it's just the the manner that it's spoken and you can have content neutral restrictions on on the time the place or the or the manner of the of the speech and um, and then on the other hand, you may have content-based restrictions, um, which can either be uh, viewpoint discrimination or, or topic discrimination. And, uh, you know, a viewpoint discrimination is, is where a particular idea or a particular point of view is being prohibited. That's being um, selected for a restriction by, by the, the government policy or, or ordinance or, or whatever it is. Um, and sometimes you'll have topic discrimination where, for example, I'll, I'll give you an example. If, if they say, um, you know, you can't preach that Jesus is the only way to heaven. We're not going to allow you to do that. That would be viewpoint discrimination. Okay, because they're taking a particular point of view and say, you can't say this. You can preach about Jesus. You can preach about Muhammad. You can preach about, you know, whatever you want. But we're not going to let you say that one religion is right and other religions are wrong. So that would be a viewpoint uh, content based discrimination. Um, on the other hand, they may say, you know what? Just don't talk about religion at all. You can talk about politics. You can talk about sports. You can talk about, um, you know, social issues, but leave religion out of it. Okay, that is a content-based restriction. It's taking a whole topic, a whole, a whole, um, you know, area of of ideas or of, of speech, and it's saying um, that that that's off limits. Whereas um, other, you know, other things are, are allowed um, in either case, whether it's viewpoint discrimination or topic discrimination, um, it is a form of censorship which violates the, the Constitution, usually. OK, if there is um, if, if the court determines that that there was um, content, a content based uh, restriction on speech. They apply what's called strict scrutiny when the when the court is is looking at uh, at what um, you know how how to evaluate this this law or the the ordinance. Uh, the court applies this test that it was necessary to serve a compelling state interest and that it was narrowly drawn to achieve that end. Okay, that's a lot of legalese, a lot of legal terms. 
Um, but what it's saying is it's very difficult for uh, a, a law or an ordinance that restricts speech to pass this test. Once the court says this was a, a content-based um, restriction on speech, they're almost always going to say, therefore, it's unconstitutional because it can't meet the strict scrutiny test. A compelling state interest is a, is a very strong state interest. Um, necessary is a very strong word. Um, and it has to be narrowly drawn to achieve that end, which means basically it's the, 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 the restrictions that the state has imposed are, are the, the um, least amount of restriction that the, the, the state is not being any more restrictive than absolutely necessary in order to, uh, to achieve that compelling state interest. And uh, so the courts have said uh, content-based restrictions on speech are presumptively unconstitutional, that they're almost always going to be held unconstitutional. I'm I, off the top of my head, I can only think of one uh, example where it was where a content based restriction on speech was upheld. And that was um, in the case of they had restrictions on um, on political campaigning within a certain distance of a polling place on an election day. So you once you get within whatever that zone was i don't remember don't remember if it was 500 feet of a polling place or 200 feet whatever it was once you get within that zone of of a polling place you could not be in there with your campaign signs and your megaphones and your campaign speeches and um and that is a that is a content-based restriction it's taking it's taking the whole topic of political speech and making it off limits just in that one location and the court upheld that uh because another you know free speech of course is a very fundamental uh right constitutional right that we have but voting is also a very fundamental constitutional right that we have and they felt that that this was necessary in order to prevent uh voter fraud and voter intimidation and they had they had a list of reasons why they said we need we need to have uh, just just kind of a, a a sterile zone around the polling places so that people could go there and and not not feel um, pressured or attacked or or whatever the case may be so that that's very unusual for the court to say okay we've got a content-based restriction on speech and we're going to uphold it anyway almost all the all the time if it's content-based the the court is going to strike it down Okay, um, if if it's content neutral, if it's not content based, but it's content neutral, such as a typical noise ordinance, then uh, it it has to. It, it's a different test. The the court doesn't apply strict scrutiny. It applies in, intermediate scrutiny, and that is that the restriction has to be a reasonable time, place, or manner restriction that is narrowly tailored to serve a significant state interest, and it leaves open ample alternative channels of communication. And again, that's a, a mouthful of legal terms. Um, and I go into, into a lot more depth in this in the, uh, in the booklet. 
So, you know, if you pick up one of these booklets, there's, uh, I have a section in there on content-based versus content-neutral uh, restrictions. And we go into a lot more detail. And I not only, you know, I, I, I give statements of what the law is. I give you footnotes. There's uh, hundreds of footnotes in this booklet. And, um, and I also give you examples in, at the close of just about every section. I, I give examples to, to um, you know, to try to get the point across. But um, so the court in each of these cases is when it talks about strict scrutiny or intermediate scrutiny, this, the court is scrutinizing the government's justification for making a law or an ordinance that restricts speech. And the government is on the defensive. If, if, um, if you're challenging a law that, that uh, restricts speech and you bring that into court, um, the, the government has to explain to the court what is its reason, what, what, it, what is the purpose, what, what, what is the interest that it's trying to serve and convince the court that that is a significant enough interest or a compelling enough interest to justify uh, restriction on speech. And then once the government says, okay, well, this is, this is the goal that we're trying to accomplish with this restriction on our citizens' liberty, this is the goal that we're trying to accomplish, then the court looks at, okay, well, that's your goal. Now we analyze the, the law that you've made and determine um, you know, does does that law accomplish the goal within the framework of of these various constitutional tests? So my purpose today is to not make you all legal experts on on uh, on how this works, but I, I want you to have you know at least a basic understanding of some of these constitutional issues, so that um, so you can at least when you come up against a a restriction on your speech. Um, that that you'll have some idea. Does does this you know does this seem right or not? And I'll go into through you know some other examples. But anyway, so that's that's how the the uh, the intermediate scrutiny works. Um, there are other constitutional challenges besides just you know whether whether they meet the strict scrutiny test or the intermediate scrutiny test. There are various other um, other types of challenges. One is when there's a prior restraint on speech, which again is not sometimes sometimes they're valid and sometimes they're unconstitutional. But the fact that that there's been a prior restraint, such as they say you have to you have to go get a permit in order to do whatever it is that you're doing. You have to get a permit to pass out literature or you have to get a permit to you know to gather together and 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 have a street meeting or or whatever it is that you're doing um that is a prior restraint and if there's a prior restraint then there are some uh restrictions that the court has imposed that the government has to meet certain restrictions in order for that prior restraint to be legal and again we go in i'm just going to go through this part um kind of quickly um because it's we go into a lot more detail in the booklet and i want to get to to the more the more practical parts of the thing but another another uh avenue of attack for a a 
restriction on speech is if it allows unbridled discretion to either the official that is um, granting or denying permission for something, or if it's unbridled discretion to, it gives unbridled discretion to a, a police officer in enforcing it. In other words, uh, a, a law has to have um, some, some certainty to it. Um, and you, you don't want to have a, a situation where, where somebody, a lot of times this comes up in a, in a permit situation where, um, where the, the law doesn't give sufficient guidelines to the official that's granting or denying a permit. And so then the, the court says, well, that's unconstitutional because they, the official has unbridled discretion. If you have to go to the chief of police to get a permit to use amplification and the, that ordinance says that, you know, here's how the chief of police is supposed to determine that, that, you know, based on, on, and then there's certain criteria, then, you know, that may be fine. But if it just says, you know, the, the police chief can, can, has to consider these five factors and any other factor that, that uh, the chief of police d feels is relevant. Well, that gives, that, that gives a chief, chief of police carte blanche to grant or deny the permit. And the problem is if they, if an official has, has, um, you know, just total say of whether to grant or deny something that invites censorship. It invites discrimination um, where the, the the official can just say, well, no, I'm not granting to you, but I am going to grant it to them. And there's no way to, you know, to, to tell whether they're exceeding their authority, um, you know, or, or violating any guidelines because there haven't been sufficient guidelines. So that's a problem when you have a, uh, a per permitting scheme like that or, or some other uh, restriction that, that gives the official, uh, you know, too much leeway as, as far as what to allow or not to allow. Um, another thing, and this is kind of related, uh, you can have an ordinance that that is is too vague. It doesn't it doesn't give uh, sufficient um, description of what is being allowed or what is being restricted. And again, that that causes a problem because, you know, somebody that's 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 wanting to speak or, or exercise their free speech rights and they they want to do so consistently with the law. If the law isn't clear on on where the where the lines are, um, then the, the person may violate the law without intending to or even more important to that from a constitutional point of view, the person may uh, censor themselves and restrict what they say because they don't want to get, they want to be sure they don't go over the line. And so now they've got, you know, restrictions on, on what they're doing um, because the law was too vague. And uh, so if, if it's too vague, it's unconstitutional. Um, and a lot of times a vague, you can have a, a vague law and, and it also be overly broad, um, or you can have an overbroad law that's not vague at all, but it's just, it's just overbroad. It restricts way too much speech um, than is necessary for, for the purpose that, uh, that, is, that the government is trying to achieve. Um, a law, a law that's, that's too broad is, um, I'll give an example. We had, uh, we had a, an, 
a noise ordinance in the city of Deland that prohibited, quote, loud, disturbing, and unnecessary noise. And um, it, we had a, a young man that was that was cited under that ordinance and his case came to court. So I said, I'll take care of it for you. And I um, I filed a motion to dismiss the charge, uh, claiming that that the the law was was overly broad. And um, and I think I said it was vague also. Um, the problem is that that description of the noise being loud, disturbing and unnecessary, um, at the very least, unnecessary is is a, a term that's that's very difficult to to uh, define or, or put into practice because, you know, from from his point of view, preaching the gospel was very necessary. And from somebody else's point of view, uh, you know, I don't need to hear this. <laughs> so, um, you know, so loud and disturbing is another one. Well, what does disturbing mean? If, if somebody doesn't like it, then then that means, you know, you were, you know, you could you could whisper the gospel to someone and it disturbs them and they think it's unnecessary. And so now you violated the noise ordinance because you were loud and disturbing and unnecessary. So um, so that we have, you know, situations like that. And in that case, the, the city attorney just dropped the charge. And uh, so that was good. The next one we have is uh, selective enforcement. And uh, that's where the law uh, is is perfectly valid on its face, but the way it's applied um, is it's applied in a discriminatory way. And I'll give you an example of this that that happened. Um, I, well, the, the case came out just just a, a few months ago. There was uh, I, I think the the incident was probably in 2021 or 2022. You remember uh, back during uh, the the pandemic era, um, there was a, a large Black Lives Matter movement all across the country. Well, the city or the, the city of Washington D.C. had an ordinance that prohibited defacing public property, and in during the Black Lives Matter movement, people were taking spray can spray paint cans and painting Black Lives Matter all over the place, on bridges, on sidewalks, on police cars, you know, whatever. In the middle of the street, they were they were painting this message. And for months and months and months, this message was was done all over the, the city of Washington, D.C. And uh, nobody was arrested. Nobody was prosecuted. The city did not enforce that at all for the Black Lives Matter message. Uh, during that same time frame or towards the end of that same time frame, there was uh, an, uh, a student organization, I don't remember what the name of it was, and uh, they wanted to have a, a rally, uh, a public rally, and they wanted to, uh, and, and so they applied for a permit and the permit was granted. And they told the city that one of the things we want to do is we want to write on the sidewalk with sidewalk chalk our message, which is Black Unborn Lives Matter. It was a, a pro-life student group, and they wanted their message, Black Unlo Unborn Lives Matter, uh, to be to be 
and they were going to write it on sidewalk chalk that the rain was going to wash away. You know, we're not talking about permanent paint or anything. And uh, so they got their permit, but uh, the the uh, city sent a bunch of police to their thing to monitor them. And as soon as the student and the, the, the as soon as the students started writing their message on on in chalk on the sidewalk, um, they were arrested. And so the you know the case went to court. This is in Washington D.C., so it went to federal court, and um, and they uh, actually the the district court uh, said that the students didn't didn't have a, a case against against the city, but it went up on appeal, and the D.C. Circuit Court reversed and said based on these facts as as they come before the 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 court um that they have a case uh based on selective enforcement under the first amendment that uh you, you can't if if you are in a a similar situation if you are similarly situated is is the legal term to another group where they the police or the city chooses to let the other group have a pass but they, they they don't give that to you because you know the other group has a different message, but your group has has uh, you know a message that's disfavored by the city that the city has violated your rights, and so um, so that's an example of of selective enforcement. And then um, this is kind of a rare thing that I came across under my research. It's called an unconstitutional condition. And that's where um, the government imposes a situation where in order to exercise your First Amendment rights, you, that, that exercise of your First Amendment rights is conditioned upon you giving up some other rights. And the context was a, uh, you know, some kind of big protest rally um, that they had, I, I think it was in Georgia somewhere, Anyway, they had this big rally, and I talk about it in the in the book that uh, they for for, for the, and it was in this big park that there's all kinds of public rallies and public events. But for this one particular event, the city imposed the restriction that yes, you can have your rally in this park, but everyone is going to have to go through a metal detector in order to get into your rally. They didn't they and so. Basically, you're you're giving up your Fourth Amendment rights against unreasonable search and seizure in order to exercise your First Amendment rights to attend the rally, and uh, and the uh, the court said uh, they can't do that. They, if if you 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 can't have what they what they called it was an unconstitutional condition. So that, that's not something that we see come up very much at all. But you know, it's an interesting an interesting concept and you know, one more tool for us to have in our, in our bag, um, you know, for, for when there's um, a situation where, where speech is being restricted. So, okay. So now we get to ways that you can challenge an unconstitutional policy. Sometimes you get a heads up that, um, that the, that there's going to be this has happened to us in Deland a few times. You know, we've had a street ministry there since 1985, and every Friday afternoon, 
Uh, we have people that go downtown to land, stand on the street corners, hand out gospel tracts, hold scripture signs, do some public preaching for like uh, an hour, hour and a half on Friday afternoon. And every once in a while, we get the um, we get the the local merchants association gets together and decides that they want to pressure the city in order to make us, uh, you know, put some restrictions on us because they don't they don't like us down there doing that. So um, so one thing that you can do when and so we we heard that the city council was going to meet in order to consider some proposals for what laws, what, what ordinances can they enact in order to restrict us? You know, can they say we're going to make a free speech zone and put it in a park outside the downtown area? I mean, we're, we, there's a central, we're two main streets downtown Deland. That is the center of town. In fact, that's where the politicians go when they're campaigning for office. They're standing out there on those same street corners holding their campaign signs. So that's where we go because it's a good place for the, you know, to get our message out to the to the public. And um, and so so they were trying to come up with some way to appease these downtown merchants to get us out of their hair, even though, you know, we're not burning down their businesses and we're not protesting them. And we're not, you know, I mean, it's just it's just kind of unreasonable, in my view, how they how they oppose us sometimes, but every few years, it seems like, you know, they, they get a movement together to do that. So we found out that there was going to be a city council meeting. And, uh, and so we had um, over a hundred of us show up at the meeting. We had these, uh, these stickers printed up. It says, I support free speech. And so you have a hundred people crowding into, actually it's probably more than a hundred crowding into the city council chambers wearing a I support free speech sticker and we had several people speak against any proposal that's going to restrict our liberty of free speech in downtown Deland and uh, when it was time for the politicians on the city council to speak you've never seen so much backpedaling nobody had any inclination at all to restrict free speech in downtown Tulane, we support the Constitution. We support free speech. We, you know, nobody's going to do anything. And so that was an effective way to deal with what could have been, you know, a, I mean, what they what they were contemplating doing. I'm confident would have been unconstitutional. But we didn't want to go through all kinds of court procedures to prove that we had a right to do something. We wanted them to leave us alone so we could be out on the street and do what we're doing. So. So that's that's one way is just to to um, to have some political opposition to to what they're uh, what they're proposing to do. Um, we had <laughs> there were we have some funny stories in connection with with this. One of them is uh, we had a guy that had a had a store downtown and he did everything he could to to. Uh, oppose us at one point he put these loud amplifiers outside of his store um right there at the intersection downtown deland his store was on the corner and when we had people there uh he just played blaring music much louder than anything that, that we had done and uh anyway so there was at some point there was a city meeting and he came to the city council meeting and we 
as always, when we get word of this, we go ahead and, and we fill the council chambers. So we, we did this same thing again. We had, you know, people came and we had, you know, families with, with little children. I mean, and, and we came in and we filled the benches and we had kids sitting on the floor and everybody was was quiet and polite. They probably, you know, that probably freaked them out, you know, to some degree. How 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 do we have these little kids and they're not bouncing off the walls and making a lot of noise? They were well behaved, um, you know, nice, orderly kids and family. And this and this uh, guy was, you know, so we had people speaking against any restrictions that they might impose. And this uh, this shop owner went in and he, he was he was giving his speech and you know these these preachers are out there on this out on the street they're there every friday afternoon uh, shouting jesus saves mm -hmm. and when he yelled jesus saves all of us in the courtroom just without just spontaneously so we're in amen and and i mean i no, i don't think anybody even thought what they were doing somebody yelled jesus saves and amen and uh the mayor was pounding his gavel order order so uh that was a that was a funny one there was another one where uh, they a different meeting they had where they where they had a bunch of different community leaders. We have a Stetson University is there in in Deland, and so uh, you know they had somebody from Stetson University come to this meeting, and they had s some business owners come to the meeting, and they invited me to the meeting, and they were going to talk about you know what you know what can we do about the let's have a dialogue about the street preaching. So they had this this meeting all called together and uh, whoever was running the meeting said, you know, well, we invited Jake Jackson. He's the attorney for the, for the church that does all this, uh, you know, public preaching and stuff down here. And so uh, I thought they were going to ask me questions and I was going to answer their questions, but they just handed me the microphone and say, okay, Jake, you know, tell us what you want to tell us. So I, I told them, that you know we're not, we're not trying to disrupt anybody's business we're not trying to be obnoxious um you know we're just trying to get the gospel out and the reason is because and then I told them why the gospel was important and I told them what the gospel is and you should you should see these people around this big conference table they were just squirming like they had ants in their pants i mean it was it was uh they they were very uncomfortable um so you get all kinds of opportunities just by just by being a part of the community and being being aware of what's going on in the community. And sometimes you can head off problems um, before they before they become big problems. We haven't had any objections to us since the green haired lady has been downtown for the past almost 10 years now. Um, you know, now it's not just the the crazy Christians that are out there, um, you know, making use of their. First Amendment rights, but there's somebody else out there too, and I guess it's just apparent that this is a public forum where people come and and uh, they're just going to have to live with it. So anyway, so um, so that's that's one one uh, thing to do. Another is you can contact the city officials, and when, when you realize that they have. Uh, an improper policy or they've threatened an improper policy, you can contact them and get written assurance that, uh, or request written assurance that they're, um, that they're not going to do um, anything that's gonna restrict your, your rights. Um, 
one example of this was, uh, you know, we had a, a parade that we were going to do, uh, a Christmas parade. We go to several Christmas parades and hand out gospel tracts there. And normally what we do is before the parade starts, we just go down the parade route and hand out the gospel tracts to the people that are assembled there, you know, before the parade comes and then the parade comes and, and uh, you know, and actually a Christmas parade is a good, or, or any parade really is a good, people are just sitting there waiting for something to happen and they got nothing to do. They're bored. And so they'll take the gospel tracts because it's something for them to read or something they can use to fan themselves if it's hot. I mean, people receive the, the tracks. So that's a, that's a good, good way to good place to, to do that. But um, anyway, so in the past we had gotten, uh, we had been told that, that we couldn't distribute anything. Nobody's allowed to distribute anything from the parade route. And uh, which is strange because, you know, they have vendors that go there that are, that are selling, you know, balloons or whatever else they sell there. And, um, and then the people, the float, the people on the floats, they're, you know, the, the mayor is throwing candy out to, to people on the sides of the parade route. And, you know, yet they told us. So anyway, so I contacted them, said, you know, I want to, I want to get, you know, get this straightened out before the parade this time. And, uh, and they uh, changed their policy or clarified their policy. And uh, the city manager's office sent me uh, a copy of a memorandum that they did to um, to the uh, from, from the city manager to the uh, the parks department and the director of public safety uh, that says that um, also even if a group is not an applicant participating in the parade they may distribute flyers along the parade route to those willing to accept the flyers so they so. So then when you go to the parade, you take that with you. And when somebody says, hey, you can't do this here because we used to have a policy that, that prohibited it. Well, now, you know, we've got it in writing and and hopefully that'll reduce the time you have to spend dealing with somebody that is trying to do something they shouldn't do. So, OK, so another thing that you can do is you can file a lawsuit to declare the policy unconstitutional. Um, and again, that's not that's not really what what we are about. I usually try to convince the city manager and the city attorney and the chief of police that their policy is unconstitutional and they don't want to go to court over it. And usually you can get a meeting of the minds. Usually usually you can get an agreement. Most of my experience is most of the improper unconstitutional restrictions against our of our rights um, come about from uh, people that are are not vindictive and not trying to to do anything wrong or to restrict our liberty, but they just don't know any better and they don't realize that what they've got violates the law. And so, if you contact them and say, you know, I'm concerned about this. Here's what what your policy appears to be, and then. Here's what here's what the law says. Here's you know, and I give them the the court cases and and everything that that shows that what they're doing is wrong. Um, a lot of times they'll just say they'll they'll agree that that uh, you know that that's right. We're not going to do that. They'll I'll have them send me an email or send me a letter that confirms that so that we can 
again, you want to have documentation with you in a situation like that if you can. Um, but anyway, so you can file a lawsuit to, to declare the policy unconstitutional. Another thing you can do is ignore the policy, exercise your right, and then when they order you to stop, um, then you document that, and I'll go over that in a, in a few minutes when we're going on the section of dealing with the police. Um, they, once, once you're ordered to stop, then you can uh, file the lawsuit, or then you can, you know, then you have more ammunition to go back to the city attorney or the mayor or whoever you're dealing with and say, look, this is a violation of our rights. And, you know, my approach to them has always been, look, I, I'm not, I'm not, my purpose is not to bring a lawsuit against you. My purpose is to solve the problem, get an agreement here so that our people can go back and start exercising their rights again and, and not be subject to harassment or arrest by the police. So another option um, is, and I don't recommend this, but another option is to exercise your right to evangelize. And instead of stopping um, when they tell you to stop, you have them arrest you and then you can defend the charge in criminal court and um and then if you win you can file suit in civil court against them um by the way this does not give you any advantage over this if you if you are if they have um ordered you to to uh to stop um evangelizing and they're wrong ordering you to stop is enough to give you grounds to file a lawsuit you don't have to get arrested and go to jail so it's uh, some people don't understand that they think well i'm going to get arrested and you know then i'll file a lawsuit against them well you know our first of all our goal isn't to stop file lawsuits our goal is to get the gospel out but um but you you don't have you don't have you know more standing to to file a lawsuit because you got arrested if they've if they've if you if you've documented it's clear that they've ordered you to stop improperly then they've violated your rights right there arresting you is not is not a, another violation or, or is not an extra is not a is not required for for to establish that your rights have been violated so all right any questions on on that up to this point because now we're going to get into the real practical stuff that hopefully will be real helpful for everybody one area is, is our police around here, there's a entity that's quasi-government, and it's called a university out here, and they claim the ability to act in the place of the parent, they call it in local parentis. Okay. And um, what they'll do is they'll say, you can come out of here, but you got to be over here, or you got to be over there which could be away from the traffic area right and problem number two is when they do that they they uh once they say you only can be in one place now the hecklers have a bullseye and that that hecklers um uh veto is you know, potentially in play yeah now it's not only uh religious groups but uh Political groups find that out, but they will go to one venue, one building on the campus, and then it'll be mobbed 
with that person, then they'll just move to another. Yeah. Or maybe one option. Okay. So, yeah. And and the answer is that a, a university, even a public university, uh, normally is not considered a traditional public forum. It's it's it may be owned by a government entity, but it is an educational institution and their their mission is is an educational mission and they can use their property and restrict their property um, for that so um, so we don't have we don't have as much liberty just across a university campus as we do in a public park um, now sometimes the the university will will have a policy that opens up their campus or parts of their campus and then you know when they when they do they you know the first amendment applies to what is is opened up to the public but um you know we, we don't get to just choose wherever we we want to go on on a university campus um some states florida uh recently passed a law that said all public universities uh all of the the green space and public areas on on public university campuses are to be considered uh, public forums for First Amendment purposes, and people from the communities can can come and and you know use that space on campus. And um, I know that uh, I understand that Tennessee has a statute that says the students can use the the whole any any public area in the campus as a as a free speech area but people that are unaffiliated with the university that want to come on campus and do that um don't have that same liberty yeah well yeah there is a place like that out here at tennessee tech they have a place that's for students they say anything they want to they can write anything they want to on the on the sidewalk or whatever but if you're from outside if you're not a registered student yeah, that's not for you to go over there and say that's right. You have to be student or or staff or faculty in order to to take advantage of that. Um, and it, there's some of this is some of this is a gray area. OK. And and, uh, you know, I know we're, we're planning today before the football game at Tech. We're going to go out there and that's that's where we've chosen to try, try to get tracks out and, and do some some witnessing um, later this afternoon. And um you know and i've i've talked to uh the university attorney i've talked to brother jimmy about about this that um you know the university is is taking the position that that stadium drive and the unit it's not a public street it's it's a university street um and they're taking the position that they have the right to restrict that um you know i look at it i i drove from one end of it to the other and uh an argument can be made um that it should it should function as a traditional public forum because you can get from 12th street to 7th street which are both um public streets just by driving down university uh, stadium drive and there's nothing that restricts you you know on university of florida you can't drive on campus they have these they have these on each road that goes into the campus they have a a little hut and there's a hut woman in there that says what do you what's your business what are you doing and they won't let you come on campus uh tech doesn't have that anybody can just walk down the sidewalk ride a bike down the sidewalk drive down the street and and they can go so i you know i think there's an argument that they have to treat that as 
as a public forum, but it's a gray area and I don't like to, you know, I like to know that I'm right when I tell people, look, they're telling you one thing, but you can do something different. And I'm not, I'm not to the point at, at, at this, uh, you know, today to say, well, we can now what they do have is right across stadium drive from the stadium, they have a parking lot and they're, they're going to have part of that parking lot for tailgating and part of that parking lot for public parking, anybody in the public, you don't have to have a ticket to the game. You can go and park there. So that's they've opened that to the public and we can go there and we can pass out tracks there. We can pass out tracks on 12th Avenue by the state or, or hold signs along uh, the sidewalk on 12th Avenue by the stadium. I'm expecting there'll be lots of cars coming in and out. We might be able to do some preaching from there. And, um, you know, that's probably a good venue for that. But I you know, at this point, and I, and I tried to, I tried to reason with the city attorney. I called the, the, uh, one of the administrators, I can't remember her name at the university and tried to reason with them and get them to, to agree. And, uh, we never came to an agreement and, you know, the, the law, it just isn't clear right now. And, you know, so I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say let's go and, and test it and, and uh, possibly be proven wrong. You know, if it's if we're going to if we're going to take a, a step like that, we want to know that we're right and that we're going to win if it goes to court. So, so that's the approach for today. Did they, but uh, mentioned to you that they were taking the court over uh, somebody street preaching on the university and the laws. Yeah, yep, yep. That yeah, that's the the McGlone case. Well, the, the, that's the McGlone case, and they did lose that. And then after that case, they changed their written policies for uh, how how the public can use the campus. Where they used to have the policy before that decision was made, uh, they had a policy that said, you know, with all this glowing language about how we support free speech and you know any area of the campus, you, you know. Anyway, they they made it where where the this would have been a what's called a designated public forum. Um, since then, they changed their policy, and their policy now states that any area of the campus that isn't specifically opened up and in, where the public is invited to to speak is is a um, is a non-public. Uh, part of the campus. So they changed, so they changed that they, the reason they lost is because how their policy was written, they changed their policy and that they took that away from us. So it's kind of a technical argument, but bottom line is, you know, we'll do what we can there today. And, and, um, you know, but you, you have a good point that it's, it's frustrating that they can, they can, uh, they can restrict us. Yes, sir. Would that be before if they're like private property? Yeah, it's like well, it's, it's well, it's not that it's privately owned. It's it's a public university, but you know, the, like say the the sheriff's department is public property, but it's not a, a public forum for free speech. You can't go into the public into the sheriff's office with gospel signs and start handing out tracts to everybody at their desk, and and so you know, it's 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 the the sheriff's office is is a you know an office building. The university is an educational campus. Those are not the same as a public forum for, for well, speech. Thing on the street, you would say, mm -hmm. would that go back to the example you said earlier about like the shopping plaza? 
with the street being exactly that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying and and the thing is there are cases on both sides you know there's there there's there's a case it's from another circuit uh a, a case from the 11th circuit where they looked at the same issue uh, a, a university street on campus that was owned by the university it's not a city street and the question that the, the case was decided on well was this a public a traditional public forum or not and the argument on the one side was well it's pretty much indistinguishable from the other city streets and it's connected to the city streets and and you know how's anybody to know you know whether they're whether it's a city street or or a university street and what the court one of the things the court focused on was that the street signs instead of the typical city street signs that gave the name of the street um they had a, a different color sign it had the university's colors and it had you know so it was a university of such and such and th this street and so and for some reason uh, with that court they were persuaded that 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 made it uh well that was one of several factors that that made it a uh, a closed university street and not a um you know and not a a a public street and you know and part of it is you know an interior street or an interior sidewalk that just goes to a facility um is is not the same as one that goes across the perimeter and so um wouldn't it be like well who maintenance it like when you have a sidewalk uh, the property owner is supposed to maintain their sidewalk in the winter by shoveling it now if the college has the street are they maintaining it from potholes, maintenance, stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Would that make a deciding factor for them? Well, uh, well, right. well, yeah. That 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 could have something to, to do with it. And and That's these good. are, but these that that street is a university maintained street. The the city, the county has nothing to do with it. The university maintains it. Yeah. Yes, sir. And and since you talking with the campus attorney last year the end of the football season and then the first home game last week when we stayed on the parking lot area no one has approached us or given us any problem like it was prior when we were standing on the sidewalk on closest to the stadium so right the advice that was given has been working very good for our church yeah okay all right very good all right let's uh let's go on to to the the meat and potatoes stuff um real practical considerations first of all uh precautions um number one you need to know what the law is in that location um and i'll give you an example in uh in the city of daytona beach florida there is an ordinance that says um, if you're going to be distributing literature, you have to hand it to a person who's willing to receive it. You can't just leave it on a, under the windshield of a car. You can't leave it in a phone booth, if you can find a phone booth anymore, or a public restroom or whatever. You're not allowed to just leave your literature somewhere for somebody to, to pick up. Uh, they have an ordinance that says you have to hand it to someone willing to receive it. So in deland you can go around go up and down a public street and you can you can put tracts on cars in daytona beach it's illegal to do that so you need to do that because we want to we want to where can you actually find city ordinances you have to go to the city 
or you can online. you can almost always find it online and uh you know and you can just google that yes sir uh, what firms would you normally look for for these types of ordinances would you look for cross-lighting ordinance or well yeah that's yeah there's what, what you have to do is is uh, you know if you go to if you just google the the name of the city and then ordinances um, usually you'll get a link. A lot of times it's on um, on a, a site called Municode, M-U-N-I-C-O-D-E, which has um, city ordinances from all around the country. It doesn't have all of them. Some of them, some cities will just have them on their own website or whatever. But you should be able to find the city ordinances, and then you really just have to kind of scroll through and and see what's there because sometimes they'll specifically have. Um, an ordinance on distribution of literature or distribution of handbills or something like that. And uh, sometimes it, they'll have a miscellaneous section, you know, miscellaneous ordinances, or they'll have, um, you know, use of, of uh, public streets and sidewalks. And then somewhere in that you'll find, oh, well, they restrict doing this, that, or the other. So um, they don't, they're, they're not always coded the same, but, um, but it's usually not too hard to find the ordinances and you can, you know, you can scroll down past, you know, most of the ones that are obviously irrelevant and then just take a closer look at, at ones, um, you know, that, that look like they might apply. Um, you know, sometimes there'll be uh, the parades and public events. And sometimes in that they'll have a restriction on gathering, you know, if you have more than, 10 people gathered at an event, then there's some restrictions that apply or, or whatever. I mean, there's, it, you, you just have to kind of take a look, but um, it's, it's, it's good to, to at least try to look before you go. You can always contact me too, you know, say, hey, we're, we're going to try to start doing some ministry in such and such a city. Can you tell us, you know, if there's anything to look out for and I'll look up the codes for you and, and let you know if there's anything that, that looks like it might be problematic. So, um, so check the ordinances. Um, you, it's good to contact city officials uh, to let them know you're coming, let them know what you're doing. Um, don't ask permission, never ask permission. If you ask a bureaucrat permission for something, they're gonna say no, or they're gonna say, we'll get back to you. And then they're gonna look for a reason to say no. And uh, we don't ask, permission. We have a right to do what we're doing, but we want to give them a heads up and it can be extremely helpful to, um, to, you know, to have that initial contact with the, with the city. We went, uh, the first time our church decided to go to, uh, to a, an event that they had in Titusville, Florida. It was, it's called a Bacchus event, which was a Bacchus festival, which was some kind of wine tasting thing. Uh, that they had, you know, and that they closed off some public streets downtown in Titusville and they had this event and there were vendors and food booths and all kinds of stuff there. We didn't care what it was for. We just wanted to get some gospel tracts out. So we went there. I contacted the city attorney's office ahead of time and I said, we're from the Bible Baptist Church in Deland. We're planning to come to this Bacchus Festival um, you know, I just wanted to let you know what it is that we're doing. And, um, you know, we've had problems um, in other locations where we've, 
you know, we've run into trouble where we go to an event and then somebody calls the police and the police call police come and say, oh, you can't do this here. And, you know, we want to make sure that, that we're not going to be interfered with by the police. And the city attorney said, oh, no, no, we've got, you know, we have a very well-trained, very professional police department. Um, we're, you know, you don't have to worry about that. And, uh, you know, if there's any issue, here's Lieutenant so-and-so's name and gave me the name of, of a police, police lieutenant in case there was any issue. So we went to the Bacchus Festival and we started uh actually we just stepped into the venue before we had really done anything and uh and some gestapo lady that ran the thing um you know was all over us you you, you can't do this here this is our event you know blah 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 and uh you know well we're you know we've already cleared this we have a right to do this it's a public venue we're you know respectfully we're we're going to to do this here well i'm going to call the police well go ahead call the police so she called the police and uh the police officer you could see him coming and just in 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 his bearing you know the guy is like walking fast and sort of leaning forward and chest out and you know he's ready for conflict and uh so he comes up you know who's in charge here you know and starts doing his whole thing and i said sir We've already talked to the city attorney. We let her know this is what we're doing. Uh, she told us that Lieutenant so-and-so is, is, you know, knows, you know, you know, so I gave the city attorney's name. I gave the lieutenant's name. I said, you know, this has already been cleared. And for the rest of the time that we were there, these, these two cops were dealing with the irate Gestapo lady and she was just and we were just pleasantly and peacefully going about our business handing out gospel tracts and getting the word of God out and um, and the police left us completely alone just because I had made that one phone call ahead of time and if I hadn't then it would have been a struggle to deal with them but you know again don't ask permission just let them just say i'm giving you a heads up this is who we are this is what we're doing we've been trained by you know a first amendment lawyer we understand our rights we're not going to be and give them some assurances we're not going to be interfering with the festival we're not going to be shouting anybody down we're not going to be blockading anybody's business we're just you know we're just here to, to do to do what we're doing um so bring documentation with you if you have it, if you've got a copy of, of the ordinance, if you've got a copy of uh, a letter or an email. Um, you know, again, we had, we have, there, there's a pedestrian bridge over a public highway that connects the uh, a bus station to a private um, shopping area that has restaurants and, and uh, movie theaters and shops and st stuff in Daytona Beach. And uh, and it, we would go there and we'd be in the pedestrian overpass, which is a great place to pass out tracks because there's just continuously people funneling through there to go to the movie theater and go to the restaurants. And we get tracks out there. We also were downstairs. We're out on the boardwalk. This is over in Daytona Beach. And uh, and there was a guy that was a janitor at the at the it's called the Ocean Walks shops. And he didn't like us being there for whatever reason. I don't know what his problem was, but he would he would um, or get the security guy to come over and tell us you can't do this here. And then you know 
police are called and everything. So, you know, and they claimed that this was their property. This, this overpass bridge that we were in, that they claimed that that was their private property rather than county property, which didn't make sense to me because how could they have a bridge over the highway that it's their property anyway. So, um, so I, I, you know, I did two things. I, I contacted the county attorney's office and I also contacted uh, the management company for that business. And I said, you know, I'm an attorney in Deland. Um, I just want to establish what, uh, you know, who the owner is of this, you know, who, who owns and controls this pedestrian bridge over the highway. For example, if somebody fell and injured themselves, would I be dealing with your company or would I be dealing with the county? And they said, oh, that would be the county, the county. We, we, <laughs> it's not our property. So I got from them that it was, that it was the county. And I also got an email from the county attorney's office that said that that is county property and that yes, we do have the right to pass out our literature there. And so in, you know, then when the police were called two or three more times over the next you know, a couple of years, we show them, look, this is, we know this is county property. I've got the email from the county attorney's office. And so then it, it saves a lot of argument if you, if you have um, what you need from them in, in documentation. Practical consideration. It's great to take kids um, out witnessing. In fact, uh, kids have a great advantage that cuteness factor where they can hand a tract to somebody where if you tried to hand them a tract, you know, no, I don't want that. But you, you know, the, the, your kid tries to hammer. Oh, thank you, sweetie. And they take the gospel tract. And um, so it's great to take kids and have them participate in all of this, but uh, make sure you supervise them just an obvious, you know, practical thing, but we have to say all the obvious things because not everybody thinks of it. Um, review guidelines with them, you know, have some, you know, have some, some rules, have some protocols and say, look, this is, this is how we do things. Um, and, you know, some of the things on this list are things that you might want to have. Bring cell phones so you can communicate uh, one with another in case anybody has a problem. Uh, this one, I think, is, you know, is a very good one. Don't go off alone. You know, if you have the ability to go in a group or at least with one other person um, do that. We had um, one young man in, it, had wandered off from our group down the down the boardwalk and when he came back he told us about how some girl had just thrown herself thrown her arms around him and was trying to be inappropriate with him and he was all by himself and if somebody said he had done something inappropriate you know where where's somebody to to say hey i was there i saw the whole thing that's not what happened so you know i mean that kind of thing doesn't happen much but uh, you know, don't take unnecessary risks. At the same time, I'm not saying never go witnessing alone. Um, sometimes you're by yourself and, you know, just be be careful and responsible. I'm not saying that, that you know, that it's wrong to do that. But especially if you're with a church group, um, you don't want anybody saying your church, your church group did something or people from your church did something. Um, if they were off by themselves, then, you know, who's to contradict whatever's being told about them. But, but so, especially when you're doing as part of a church group, I would say, you know, don't, don't go off by yourself. Um, 
that's probably obsolete. Bring a camera. If you're bringing cell phones, you probably have a camera with you, but in case you don't, anyway, um, you can call me, you know, from the, from the spot. I mean, don't call me late at night because I'm in bed, but, um, or I just won't answer the phone. But, you know, if you're, if you're having a, uh, an issue with, with somebody, you know, that's part of what this ministry was designed for was to, to help to talk people through problems that they're, that they're having, um, you know, in connection with, with trying to do some public ministry. Um, the next thing, uh, handling objections, um, you know, just to, just to think about some things that, that typically come up or are likely, you know, may come up, uh, just, just to, um, just to, so that it doesn't take you by surprise. We just kind of go through these. I'm not going to give you, um, you know, how to respond on every single one of these. In fact, uh, number one, there's not just one white right way to respond. Um, number two, you don't have to get in the last word. You know, you don't, you know, you, you can just be humble. And if, if, if somebody is, 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 being you know if they're mocking if they're if they're being uh outrageous or whatever um you know you don't have to have an answer for anything and a lot of times what happens with these objections we're out on the sidewalk and we're doing this and you know there's cars driving by and so somebody will be sitting there at the red light and watching and listening and seeing what all is going on and then when the light turns green and they start to drive off then they'll have something smart alecky to say to you as they're driving away okay so if you don't have to shout something back at them and and try to try to get the last word just you can you can let it go and you're not you're not obligated um to uh you know to discuss every topic somebody wants to to bring up some kind of social or political issues you know you can just say i'm not here for that you know they 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 see you out there as a Christian and they think, oh, well, you must be Republican. You must you must love Donald Trump or you must this, that or the other. And it's like, that's not what we're here for. You know, if 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 we go out there and say, you know, we're we're for this side or we're for that side, then we've alienated 50 percent of the people that we're trying to reach. And we're not out there for politics or or social issues, you know, and it, and it disarms people a lot of times when you when you let them know and and have have some some grace and have some charity about you when you when you talk to them, you know, they come up to you, you know, and why do you hate homosexuals? You know, you don't know me. How? What, what do you mean? I hate homosexuals. We're you know we're 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 here to let people know about about the grace of God that that. Jesus Christ died for our sins. We're all sinners. We all need to be saved. And, you know, we're just trying to let everybody know that. And, and it's, it's good news. It's a message of love. It's a message of hope. It's a message of grace. You know, we're not a threat to you, but they think from what they see on TV that, you know, the, the Christians are, are, you know, rabidly on one political side of the spectrum. And, and so they, they think that we're, if they're, on the other side, they think we're their enemy, and that, that's not what we're there for. And you can go ahead and vote, and go ahead and have an opinion, but that's not what we're that's not what we're here for. We're not obligated to debate. You know, if somebody wants to talk about, you know, um, 
baptism or or predestination or you know wh whatever whatever their topic is um <clears throat> people are going to come up to you at some point and try to bring up these topics and you can you know you can say you know what i'll be happy to have this discussion with you here's my email address or here's my telephone number and i'll do that with you you know some other time but i've I've dedicated this time to preaching the gospel to the people out there, not to have a, a, you know, doctrinal debate with, you know, with other religious people. And, you know, so you can, you can just defer that to another time, or you could say, you know, that's just, that's just not what we're, we're here for. Um, you know, you know, or you can go ahead and have the conversation. I'm just not, I'm not saying don't have the conversation, go ahead and, and you know do what you want to and and try to you know get the gospel to them but um you know all of these things um you know you you don't have to you don't have to do that but you know people want to ask about uh evolution people want to say you know i'm they just kind of declare their sin um first timothy says christ jesus came into the world to save sinners um Sometimes they just declare their religion, you know, I'm Jewish, I'm Catholic, I'm Buddhist, you know, we get, nowadays we get a lot of people will say, you know, I'm Muslim, which I doubt it, but you know, that's what they claim. But the, the, the fact is there's only one way to heaven and that's Jesus Christ. And so, you know, Jesus died for, for everyone. He died for the sins of the whole world. And that's, uh, you know, that we're here to, to let them know that. Um, but they use that as a as a defense. You know, I'm a good person. The Bible says, no, we're not. You know, we're, we're, we're all sinners. Uh, there's not a just man upon the earth which doeth good and sinneth not. Uh, we say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves. Uh, some people will say I'm I'm a good person, so I don't need it. Or they say I've sinned too much already and I'm beyond I'm beyond hope. I'm beyond saving. No, you're not. You know, the, the grace of God uh reaches to the to the lowest sinner so um so you know there, there when we get the the don't don't judge um again you don't have to get into a debate with everybody but you know the, the fact is the bible tells us to judge righteously and if you read matthew chapter 7 which is the don't judge verse if you read it in context it's not saying we're not supposed to make judgments i mean we make judgments every you couldn't cross the street if you didn't couldn't make a judgment, you know, so we make judgments all the time and there's nothing wrong with that. But again, we don't have to, we don't have to debate that with them, but you know, that's, that's coming. And, you know, so we can, you know, and any of these, you know, why does God allow such and such? And a lot of times these questions, you can tell that they, they start out as somebody just coming to let's, let's stump the, the Christian. Let's just try to ask a question that's going to be too difficult for him to answer. And like I said, we're, we're not obligated to, to answer all those questions. But uh, what helps a lot of times, uh, if you're willing to have the conversation with them, is to first say, um, say something like, um, you know, if this is a sincere question, I'll be glad to talk to you about it. But if you just want to argue or you just want to mock, I'm not interested. I don't I'm not interested in having the conversation. But if you're sincere and sometimes they started out that they were mocking 
But then you say that to them and then all of a sudden they back on this. No, no, I, I really want to know. I'm interested. I, I really want to know. And you get you, you see the change in their demeanor. <clears throat> and now you can have a conversation with them and, you know, just you show them respect and, and you can you can get some get some uh, some exchange going. So, um, you know, and, and you can you can give doctrinal answers to these or, you, you know, or you can, like I say, just defer them and say, you know what, that, that's these are these are more in-depth questions. I'm not I'm not you know, I'm here to try to just get the gospel out. I'll be glad to get your email and we can talk about it further. <clears throat> you know, why are there so many religions? Why are there so many Bibles? Uh, you know, because Satan knows what he's doing is the short answer to that. Um, you know, that's Satan's work. Um, There'll be hecklers, um, and again, don't don't respond in kind. Um, you know, we we need to show some grace. Um, we we had a situation where we we had a brother with us, uh, and uh, we were going down the street and and witnessing, and there was some teenage boy out there on the sidewalk and he just went you know like that to, to uh to this brother that was preaching and so he looked at him he said you won't do that when you stand before god Which, okay i can i can see you know maybe saying that once and <laughs> the kid said yes i will and he said no you won't and he said yes i will and he said no you won't and i said yes i will and he said no you won't and i'm thinking brother <laughs> give it a rest um you know that's 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 not what we're that's not what we're there for and one of the things to think about is there's other people around that watch your conduct and how you react to other people and i don't know how many times we've been out there and somebody has just been ridiculous you know they cuss at us they they uh you know yell stupid things at us and you know and we respond you know with grace or or we don't respond verbally at all and you know just just let it go and then we've had somebody come up to us from across the street you know i saw how you handled when uh, that that person was harassing you and uh you know i appreciate you know how you responded and 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 you know what is it that you guys are out here trying to do and you get you get a good witness to somebody that was just a spectator to how you responded to somebody else being stupid. So, um, so we don't want to stoop to their level. Um, here's a, a favorite one for, for uh, Christians who don't witness to ask you, or they, they claim they're Christians. And what, what good does it do? You know, meaning, you know, how many people have you had hit their knees and, and ask the Lord to save them right out there on the sidewalk? And, you know, and the answer to that is we have seen that happen. But, you know, what good it does, again, if they want to have, you know, a mature, respectful conversation about it, um, it's Christians obeying the Lord and doing what he told them to do. That does some good right there. You know, God likes to see his people. Jesus said, if, if you love me, keep my commandments. And th this is a commandment for us to go out there and do it. So so that does good. It does good to the church does good to the body of Christ for people to be active in this kind of a ministry. And um, 
I know that in my personal uh, in my personal walk with the Lord, um, going out there and engaging in engaging the public in in this ministry um, is is something that that it increases my my understanding of what I read in the Bible. It increases my faith in in God and and in His Word. When I I see you know what what happens and how people respond when we when we go out and obey his commands and it's a blessing. I said earlier that you know it's a struggle with the flesh every time or just about every every time you you know we have to we have to deal with the flesh doesn't want to do this but we want to just I I don't think I I don't think there's ever been a time and I don't can't, can't tell you how many times we've been out doing public ministry. I don't think there's ever been a time where I have in any way regretted that I went and took that time to be involved in that outreach. It's always been a blessing. You always feel like, like, um, you know, like you get a boost from it. Um, even though you sacrificed a couple of hours in an evening that you could have been doing something else that that wouldn't have been as as profitable it is it is personally spiritually profitable to the person who participates in it um and so that's more of the good that it does not that we have to defend that you know this you could just simply simply say this is uh you know th this is what we're supposed to do and and we're doing it um okay so handling handout on handling police encounters and um and that's basically what we're going to be going over in this section. Be going over in this section. So, um, you know, again, remain calm, pray, don't get in the flesh. It's a lot easier said than done when you see, uh, you know, a police officer heading your way, and you're uh, expecting that that uh, there's going to be some kind of some kind of uh, conflict or controversy. Um, it's hard to, uh, you know, I know for me, I, I can feel my adrenaline come in I my heart starts beating faster. And, uh, and, uh, you know, even if I know that I'm right, you know, if I think that he's going to cause a problem, you know, you start, you start getting that fight or flight reaction, I guess. So, uh, so, it, you know, it, it takes some, some prayer and some thought, um, can we, uh cut the lights yes sir try not to get in the flesh while we're while we're dealing with uh while we're dealing with uh dealing with the police and um you know it's it's good to be polite and respectful um when when you're dealing with anybody um you know in in particular in dealing with the police um and I always I always say it's good to have one person dealing with the officers, uh, one one spokesman, and a witness with a uh, you know and with a video camera. You want to record the encounter with the police, um, and uh, and then everybody else in the group can go ahead and continue doing what they're doing. We don't have you know everybody gets curious. And wants to know well what's going on with the police and if you don't say ahead of time 
<clears throat> this is how we handle police situations. Brother so-and-so and brother so-and-so are going to be dealing with the with the officers and everybody else carry on, do do what you're doing unless you're specifically ordered by the police to to stop. But usually they'll come and they'll they'll start, you know, inquiring. And um and so you know we want people to uh to to go ahead and and get get things sort of under control don't crowd around the officers we don't want them to get nervous is everybody out of the bathroom now yeah okay so um you know we don't want the officers to feel threatened so uh so don't crowd around them um you know, it, it's a good idea to, uh, as I said, to, to video record what's going on with the officers. Um, most jurisdictions have specifically stated um, that video recording of police when they're doing, when they're in a public place doing their official duties, that that is protected by the First Amendment. You have a First Amendment right to, uh, to record the police. Um, that the Supreme Court has not ruled on that specifically. And so we have uh, 11 federal judicial circuits plus the DC circuit court. So there's 12 federal circuit courts. And the way the federal law works is if the Supreme Court hasn't said what the rule is, each circuit court of appeals gets to decide what the rule is within their territorial jurisdiction. So Every circuit court that has published an opinion on this has come to the same conclusion that you have. I mean, wait, wait, let me let me take that back. Um, every circuit court that has specifically ruled whether you have a right under the First Amendment to record the police or not has said yes, you do. But there are several circuit courts that have said we haven't ruled. That hasn't been decided up to this point in this circuit. And so they, none of them have said the first amendment does not protect your right to record the police. None of them has said that some of them, in fact, about half of them have said, uh, you, you do have the right to record the police under the first amendment. And the other half either, either haven't addressed it at all, or when they've been asked to address it, they've said, well, we haven't said one way or the other yet, and we're not deciding today. So, um, but, uh, there's good reason, and and you can. I have that other handout on, on the right to record police, where I go into you know some detail about that. Um, but you know, you should be able to record the police. Um, I believe it's protect. I believe that any court would say that it is protected under the First Amendment uh, to do that, and I would do it. Whether whether I'm in a jurisdiction where it's been decided or not, you know, I would go ahead and and do that. Um, how well the cops are telling you like shut that camera off? Well, they they, sir, I have a First Amendment right to to keep this camera on. You know, you're a public officer in a public place performing your public duties, and um, you know I, I have, you know, the courts have said I have a right to to do this. Um, <clears throat> there's, it, it's not a hundred percent. You know, I can't tell you with a with a. I mean, in certain jurisdictions, I can tell you a hundred percent yes. Uh, Tennessee is in the sixth judicial circuit. That's one of the circuits that has not decided specifically. So they haven't said no, but they haven't said yes yet either. So, um, you know, I'm, 
that's that's you know about the best I can tell you. They're trying to force them eight foot rules. We had to lease if you're going to photograph, you got to get eight foot back. Yeah, well, that's and that's that one's been threatened. Okay, well, yeah, and and that's that's uh, you know what we what we want to do is. Um, I, yeah, I agree. I, I think that you, you need to keep your distance. You don't you don't want to you can't do it if it's going to be interfering with them um, performing their duties. So sometimes you have a cop making an arrest and someone's coming, you know, within a foot of the officer and holding a camera to to his face while he's arresting somebody and they're interfering. There's no reason for you to be that close. You just want to you're having a, a discussion with them. nobody's getting arrested. You're having a discussion with a police officer and you're you know you're there are certain things that you want to establish on the record when you're talking with them and nobody has to be in their face you can be five feet away you can be 10 feet away and recording the interaction and getting on there what, what you need to so you know we don't want to give them any any legitimate reason to stop you from what you're doing or to, to confiscate your camera. We, we, you know, if they're going to do something and violate your rights, we want it to be a very clear violation of your rights that that's unjustified. We don't want it to be where you're giving them an excuse to do something. So, um, so anyway, the reasons we want to do the video recording is number one, it's a, it's good evidence. If it's going to, if it's going to be something that comes into court or even just something to, deal with you know we have an interaction with a police officer on the street and somebody's telling me about it and so i call the city attorney or i call the police chief and i say um you know well this is what is reported that's happened and they say well um i you know i haven't seen the police let me see what the officer says let me see the police report and um you know they're they're not necessarily going to report things as it actually happened but if you have a recording of it then that's going to be, you know, better effort evidence. Number two, officers tend to be more careful and more professional with you when they know that they're being recorded. And number three, um, in, in some states, it may not be legal to record secretly. And so let them, you can let them either just do it openly or let them know, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm recording this interaction. Um, and, uh, you need to specifically ask, um, let's see what I got on here. So don't crowd on the officers, continue to give out tracks, remember to remain calm. Uh, you know, you're dealing with the officer. He's supposed to enforce the law. Um, you can remind them, reassure them, you're not intending to break the law. Um, if you have documentation, like we talked about, go ahead and show it to them. That's why you're carrying it with you is just in case you have an encounter like that. Um, and then ask specifically, what law are you being accused of violating? Okay, uh, that's that's important. It lets them know that you're uh, that you're aware of your rights and, you know, that you're not going to be bullied into giving up your free speech rights without legal justification. And it's important to determine the legal authority by which they're trying to suppress your right of free speech. So we want to know on what basis are they telling you to stop? They can't just say, I don't like you doing this here. They have to have a legal reason. They have to have some 
some authority, and that authority is a state law or a uh, local ordinance that says, um, you know, what they're doing. So ask them for that. Sometimes they don't have an answer for you. Um, sometimes they'll give you an answer and you look up the ordinance and the ordinance doesn't say what they what they say it says. We were passing out gospel tracts in Daytona Beach and the city has an ordinance, as I said before, that says it's illegal to distribute literature in the city of Daytona Beach um, unless you're handing it to a person that's willing to receive it. So we were out passing out gospel tracts and police officers came you can't you can't pass out literature here. We have an ordinance that says you can't pass out literature. Well, if you look at your ordinance, the ordinance says you can't pass out literature unless you're handing it to a person willing to receive it. So we took that, we made a copy of that ordinance and kept it in our pockets so that when they came and told us that they didn't know what they were talking about, we showed them that we knew what we were talking about. So anyway, um, so asking what law you're, you're uh, supposedly violating, um, you can ask for a supervisor to be sent to your location. And this is a very effective tool. And so remember this one, you can ask, and if you're not getting anywhere with the, with the first officer, if they don't back off immediately, which sometimes they do when, when they realize you know what you're talking about and you're not gonna be bullied, um, they'll just back off right away. But if they don't, ask for a supervisor. Most, well, I, I guess I can't say most. I know that there are many, probably most jurisdictions, most law enforcement agencies, if a citizen asks for a supervisor, that they are that the officer is required to call a supervisor. He's violating department policy if he does not call a supervisor, meaning a sergeant or a lieutenant or somebody above, to come to your location and deal with it. And um, the reasons why you want to have um, to have a, a supervisor, uh, the higher ranking officers have more experience, more education. They're more likely to uh, to understand the nuances of First Amendment law. The the rank and file police officers a lot of times don't have all of that information or all of that experience, and they make mistakes. Not only that, but they are trained. Police officers are trained to they call it use a command voice. They come and they take charge of a situation and they start throwing their weight around and giving orders and telling people what to do. And most people will just go ahead and do what they said because number one, since they were a child, they've been told, you know, obey police officers. Number two, they're just they're they're stepping into that role of I'm taking charge of the situation. And whether they had a gun and a badge or not, you know, somebody that that tends to do that, usually most people are going to back off and eliminate. But if you know that you have the right to do what you're doing and that they're making a mistake, you know, most of the time it's not that they're that they're that they hate the gospel or they hate Christians or they're trying to cause a problem for you. Um, you know, most of the time, you know, they, they just don't understand. And so, you know, we, we, my, my biggest job is just educating the officers and, and sometimes the, the city officials, uh, you know, of, of what the first amendment requires. But if you know that you have the right to, to do what you're doing, you don't have to be, you don't have to, to back off and back down when they, when they start bossing you around, you can say, 
sir, we have we have a constitutional right to, to do this. Well, you can't do this here. Can I talk to your supervisor? And then the supervisor comes and the supervisor, when they come, they've been trained in uh, conflict de-escalation. They've been trained in getting things calmed down and and reasoning with people. And and there's reasons for, you know, I'm not saying that that the the, the frontline cops are, are bad or stupid or anything. I mean, there's there's reasons why they have to very often take charge of situations. But, um, you know, in a situation like this, you want to deal with somebody that, that you can reason with. And a lot of times we talk to the supervisor and the supervisor tells the other officer they're OK, just leave them alone. And then problem is solved. And um, so so that's that's what we that's what we want to do. Um, if they if the officer won't call uh, a supervisor, you can call the police department and say, I'm having a, a problem with with a, a police officer here. I'd, I'd like to request a, a supervisor to come to this location and they'll they'll do that. You can do that. that yeah, you can. That's that is absolutely legal. I had well, I had a, a police chief uh, tell me at one time after we had dealt with with uh, their officers and he just had one time after other. He, the police chief kept saying, you know, you're right. The, the officer's wrong. We need to we need to get it right. We will retrain them. But we kept having problems. And so the officer, the, the police chief told me if they won't bring if they won't have a supervisor come to your location just dial 911 and ask for a supervisor to come to your location which a few years later i had a situation like that and they didn't call a supervisor so i said well fine i'll get a supervisor here and i dialed 911 and they told me this is not an appropriate use of 911 this is this is not what 911 is for so you should have the you should have the non-emergency number of the sheriff's department or the police department so that that uh, police chief told me wrong. Now he's the sheriff, so um, he's a good guy. Actually, he's he helped us a lot. But anyway, um, so once you once you get with somebody that you can reason with, hopefully you'll be able to reason with them about your right of free speech, and they'll know enough about it that they'll they'll know to back off. Um, this is uh, extremely important. Um, if a police officer is just, if they're not going to admit that you have the right to do what you want to do, you have to ask this question. Do you intend to arrest me if I don't stop preaching? Do you intend to arrest me if I don't stop witnessing or if I don't leave the area or whatever they're illegally telling you to do? You ask them, do you intend to arrest me if I don't do this? All right. It's extremely important uh, to do that. Um, and the reasons are, number one, uh, you need to distinguish clearly between a command that the officer intends to enforce, which may violate your rights if they're, if they're, they're trying to enforce a command that, that they are not allowed to enforce, then, then that, that shows that they're violating your rights. Um, so it, or, uh, a is it a mere suggestion or request which if it's a suggestion or request you can decline to abide by their suggestion or their request and you can you can decline that without penalty um so that's number one reason why you have to ask that question you have to make it clear because sometimes what happens is we get to this point 
the Christian witness doesn't ask this question, they stop witnessing and they go home and they call me and I call the police chief or I call the city mayor or whatever. And, um, and then the response I get back was, well, you know, they, they weren't, that wasn't a command. They were just, they were just trying to, you know, resolve the situation. They were making a request. They didn't violate your client's rights by commanding them to do this. They, you know, so you have to distinguish, is it a command or not? Okay. And uh, very often when you, when you ask that question, then they back off because they know that is a line drawn in the sand right there and they're not going to step over that line. Okay. Where they, if they're not sure that what they're telling you, they have the right to tell you, then all of a sudden you start hearing this. Oh, well, no, we're, I'm, I'm just, I'm just making a request. You know, it seems to me it's the Christian thing to do. Those people complained about you. So why don't you just move two blocks down there? And if, you know, if, if you want to be, Christian, then go ahead and, and, and do that. They use that kind of language, but now all of a sudden they're just making a request. Well, if a police officer makes a request, you could say, no, thank you. I'm going to stay right here, you know, or you can, or you can go and, and do what they ask. But, um, you know, but, but then, then you're, you're not being, they're not violating your rights by asking you to move They're you know, so. How about he said, yeah, that's if he says, yeah, that's a command, then say, okay, Th then I'll stop, make, you know, get their name, you know, you hopefully have all this on video, and now you have grounds for a lawsuit against them. Or we have grounds to go back to, you know, or to make a complaint against them with internal affairs. Or we can, you know, go to the police chief or, you know, say, look, you've got a problem here with, with this officer. Is this your, is this your policy or is this officer just, you know, doing something he's not supposed to do and then you get the assurances from them oh they shouldn't have done that we apologize uh we'll give it to you in writing that you have the right to do this so that if another officer makes the same mistake you can tell them or i mean i had at one point i had i had a, a telephone number for the internal affairs sergeant for daytona beach police department and saved my cell phone because we had so many issues with the police where they just didn't know what they were doing and they kept violating our rights. And so, you know, I said, you know, excuse me, I'm going to call Sergeant Para. Okay. And I dialed Sergeant Para and uh, he says, I explained what's going on. He says, put the officer on the phone and I hand my phone to the police officer and he hands the phone back and he walks away. <laughs> he doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't say I was wrong. I don't care. I don't want an apology. I don't want an admission. I just want him to leave me alone. And so, you know, so that can be very effective. Um, so that's real important. And again, remember that there's other people around that see what's going on. I was in a, a public park in Orlando and we were at an event going, walking through, passing out tracts and the police came, oh, you can't do this here. They surrounded us. You can't hand out that literature. And uh, other people were watching and people came up. I want to get what, what, Give me one of those cards that that they're telling you you can't pass out because they you know people get curious and but the, more important than that they want to see how you're they see how you're responding to the police or to whatever situation you have and and sometimes it really makes an impression on them in a good way so you can you can choose to comply with the officer's commands and then bring the issue either to city officials or to the court rather than be arrested so uh which 
if they're if they won't back down and they threaten to arrest you then i would say you know you're done there there's no reason to be arrested it doesn't do anything extra for you as far as your legal rights are concerned if you choose to remain and you are arrested do not resist the officers in any way okay very important um you don't want to get you know they've, they've got a, a bad uh you know first amendment violation against you you don't want to give them a good resisting arrest or you know some other problem also know this um and i've I, i've i don't anymore but i used to practice criminal law um an arrest uh very often is a violent event okay when if even though you're a nice christian and you've never been in trouble before when they decide they're going to arrest you they don't have to say would you please extend your arms so that we can put the cuffs on you what they may do is just take you down to the ground and it may hurt and it may injure you and you know that that comes with being arrested there's no reason to be arrested i know we have some brethren that consider it a badge of honor that oh i got arrested for for preaching but well yeah but you didn't have to you know you could have made the so same what, point what should you say when you're going to stop so they don't escalate it into an arrest well you say okay i'm all right i'm done you know if, if, if you're saying you're going to arrest me uh, i believe you're violating my rights but um you know i'm not i'm not willing to go to jail today you know i'll you know i'll talk to my attorney and, and <laughs> see you later so all right so and don't give them any legitimate reason to arrest you you know as you first peter says you know if you if you suffer as a christian great if you suffer as a wrongdoer then you know that's not so good so um so that's that all right this is our final section and i'll just whip through this it'll only take a couple minutes uh taking it to the streets choosing a location it depends the location is going to depend on what you're going to do or what you want to do is going to determine what kind of location you want to go to so what might be good for uh holding signs and preaching may not be a good venue for tracks so um you know depending on on you know traffic patterns and pedestrian etc um so you want to look for those kind of patterns and and you know adjust your methods accordingly um and uh you know look at at competing uses if there's other things going on in the area where you're going again we don't want to be interfering with other people's rights we want don't want to be obnoxious in what we're doing um we just want to get our message out okay how to present yourselves number one personal hygiene you would think that you don't have to mention this but you do have to mention this so um you know brush your teeth you know be be clean wear appropriate clothing um a lot of us wear scripture shirts or jesus saved shirts um that's that's great you know i, I do that if you feel like i know there's some people that feel like if i'm going to be preaching or i'm going to be representing the lord i should wear a shirt and tie and and all that or you may be in a community where they think if you go out there with a jesus saves t-shirt on you're somehow being disrespectful but if you go out there um dressed like this then then you're going to be more you know better received you know it's a it's a personal personal um 
preference kind of thing. It's not a right or wrong thing, but you might want to give some some thought to it, you know, how, how you're addressed. Um, attitude, as we talked about before, uh, is extremely important. And then uh, dealing with fear, um, you know, ask God for help. If, uh, you know, especially, you know, the first time doing it uh, or the first few times doing it, it you know, it's hard to, to get out there and, and take that first step sometimes. And so pray about it. The disciples prayed for boldness. Um, and, uh, you know, remember, it's not about you. We're not concerned about, you know, what people think of me. It's not even my message. It's the Lord's message. We're, you know, we're telling them what the Bible says. So, you know, so don't, we don't need to take things personally. Um, by the way, you know, even children can do this. It's, you know, anybody, anybody can do this. Um, again, you know, think about if you're, if you're afraid, think about, well, what is it that I'm afraid of? You know, you're not going to get beaten and thrown in prison. Like, like happened in the book of acts, not, not here in America, you're not. Um, and so, you know, just, just give some, some thought to that and then, uh, trust God and do it. And I'll tell you, this is my experience. Even after doing it for many years, when I go out on the street, if I'm going to lift up my voice and preach, um, there's there's that little bit of trepidation. There's a little bit of butterflies in the in the stomach before I get started. But I'll tell you this: that every time when I start out with the Bible says, yeah. Once you've got that phrase out, all of that goes away. Now all of and it's not you; it's the Bible. You're just telling them what the Bible says. And so you know, my friends, the Bible says, "For God so loved the world," and you just you just and I'm telling you, it goes away right away. And, um, you know, it does get easier with time, but the, the flesh never gets completely dead. So it, it's always an issue uh, to a degree. And then I was like, uh, you know, at the end, we go, so, you know, you, you go together. Um, if you have a church van or you carpool or whatever, you go someplace to do some some ministry. <clears throat> when you come back. Um, everybody is just pumped up coming back. You know, I talked to this person, you know, they said this, they said that, and, and, you know, just compare experiences. And it's, it's a blessing to, um, you know, to, to share that with one another and, uh, and encourage, encourage the church, encourage the body of believers. You know, it's a blessing, by the way, um, this is this was at that uh, Titusville Bacchus festival where the irate lady was was uh, and and these cops back here they never gave us a second look once once I once I dealt with them and and told them look we've already we've already had a discussion about this and uh, we just had a great time there and but but they were they were still in the middle of dealing with the objectors. And we, we were, we're going home. We're walking, you know, we're, we're leaving at this point. They're, they're still dealing with aggravation and we just had a great time. So anyway, um, so rejoice, praise God, pray together, thank the Lord. You know, I mean, it's just doing public ministry is just such a, a, a boost to fellowship. And, you know, we come together to worship and we sing together and we hear the sermons and we shake hands and how are you doing and all that. And all of that is is just just, you know, kind of surface level level or a little bit 
little bit better than surface level, but you go out and, and work together on public ministry, and all of a sudden you have a deep bond and a, and a deep relationship with each other. It, it really is, you know, the, the best thing that, that can happen to a church is for people to, to come together and, and work together outside of the church doors, not just come in here and, and worship together.